Please open your Bibles to James, James chapter 1. I was really encouraged by yesterday's turn of events. Um, I was surprised by Victor, a really gifted uh, evangelist in our midst, and God has gifted us with that blessing, and so uh, continue to encourage him. And brother B, continue to be faithful in preaching the word of God. I was also surprised by Shanton. Did not know he could preach. <laughs> no, he knows, he knows. I'm just kidding. Um, but he preached in Afrikaans, which was um, really um, so uplifting. I didn't understand 90% of his words. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was really good. Uh, it was really encouraging to see how the Lord has gifted us and the variety of giftedness in this church. We resume our study in the book of James this morning. We've taken a bit of a hiatus um, because of the evangelism month. Now we begin a new section in verse 19. I'm going to read it and then we'll take some time to look at it. Chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let everyone or every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For... If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like or what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Very interesting section. The entire portion that I just read is one section in James's mind. Now the section, as we begin it, there's a threefold effect that James has in mind that is related to verse 18. Number one, you will see that James provides the result of verse 18 then he expresses the expectation of verse 18, and then he shows a direct application for this community of believers of verse 18. In essence, this entire portion of Scripture, 19 through to 27, falls under the canopy of application. I withheld practical application throughout this section preaching from chapter 1, verse 1 through to verse 18, because I knew that James was getting to application. And so often when we get to Bible passages, the first thing we think of is, how does it apply to me? That is the wrong question. 
The question should be, what does the author say and what does he mean by what he says and how does he apply what he says? Because the author is going to get to application at some point in time. So here we are in a section of application and you will still see that James holds on to theology in this application. That is important to note. So fundamental to understanding our portion of passage 19 through to 27 is verse 18. And those of you who have not, take, have not been here um, to hear verse 18, I'm going to have a little bit of a review for you. But those of you who have been here, I will add some new things as well. Often commentators say that there's a clear break or a distinction between chapter 1, verse 2 through to 18, and verse 19. And that is true. There is a distinction. James moves from the discussion of trials and temptation and God's work in salvation now to how it affects the believer's life. If you follow his style of writing, James always circles back to what is mentioned before. And you will see that as you go on in this book. In this case, the last thing that he mentions in verse 18 is this. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Take note of that little three words. By the word of truth or four. Which means God produces salvation through one means. The word, right? By Jesus Christ, through faith in him, but that is given to us through one means. The word. That's his point. So God says by means of the word, but now James takes this thought by means of the word and he will show the effect or impact of this word on the believer's life. Since God gives life to the dead, it stands to reason that God also has the right and authority to set the parameters for the life of the believer. What they can and cannot do. There is no free agent in Christianity. You do not have the right to live the way you want. God sets the parameters for your life. There is a hint added at the end of verse 18 that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That last phrase is what we call new creation language. God has begun a new creation in his son through the word. We are no longer children of Adam and we are no longer in the likeness of Adam, but we are created to be in the likeness of Jesus. This is James's way of explaining what Paul in the entire book of, of uh, uh, Corinthians explains. Being made and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ through the gospel. God sets in motion the initiation of this new creation. God is creating a new mankind after the likeness of his son. And there's only one means through which you can be brought into this new humanity. It is through the word by faith in Jesus Christ. James is saying that this first of community of saints, this first group of Jews were the first to experience that. Hence the words, a first fruits of his creatures. That word first fruits implies that they were the first portion, the first harvest, harvest of what God was going to do later on. They were the down payment, the first to experience God's miraculous new covenant salvation. This means that those who are born of God are no longer children of Adam. 
They are no longer in the likeness of Adam. His sinful nature no longer has control and dominion over their life. That is no longer the dominant principle in the life of those who have been born of God. They are no longer under the power and control of their former master. But now they have been transformed into the kingdom of light. John says, now we are the children of God. We weren't once before, but now we are. We've gone from haters of God, enemies of God, to being children of God. There's a distinct break from our former head, which is Adam, to being under the Lordship and under a new head, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord. The umbilical cord of sin that joined us to Adam has been severed. And we are now free in Jesus Christ and under Christ. What we have here is both an explanation and a further expansion of God's kingdom building work. Understand, this is the first community of saints that is gathered together as God's people. So this is the first writing to them. So he has a lot to explain in the expectation of what God has for his people. These children are given new life by God, by the word, which points us back to verse 18. So then, if you are truly a child of God, what do you expect to face? What do you expect to face? Trials. Hence, chapter 1, verse 2 through 2, verse 11. Trials is a necessary, expected um, reality for those who are God's people. If you are a true child of God, you will face persecution and trials. Your faith will be refined and you will be placed in the fires of affliction so that you may endure. You can't endure if there's nothing to endure. So in order for you to demonstrate that you have perseverance and endurance, God has to put you in a what? Trial. Why? God uses trials not only to refine our faith, but to put on display the quality of our faith. Does that make sense? You may remember this from former sermons. James says that God, or at least I said, that God does not test our faith so that he can figure out if you are his child. That's not why you are in a trial. God places you in a trial so that he can put on display the kind of faith that he has given you. Which means trials are good for us. So don't flee from it. Don't, don't want it to go away. You want it to be there because it tells you who you really are. In, in fact, James uses a, a similar analogy uh, to, to Jesus. James speaks of a man that is tossed to and fro. He speaks of a rich man that, that removes himself. Why does he do that? Because Jesus spoke about that. What did Jesus speak about with regards to the soils? Well, there will be those who are tested. In fact, if you remember last time uh, Don preached, he spoke about the soils. If you look at the prepositions used in that passage, it says among, on, alongside, but there's one that falls into the soil. The seed, which is the word, falls on, among, 
around, but not into the soil. There's only one soil that actually receives the word. And to explain that that is true salvation, he says, they, he says, he says, it's not a word. He says, they persevere or they endure. Why does he say that? Because right in the middle, the test of genuine salvation is affliction. The test of true salvation is what God gives to, to the entire world, specifically aimed at God's people. Affliction either refines you or repels you. God does that. So as you are going through your affliction, God is either showing you, no, you are really mine, and so you can be affirmed in your faith that you are saved, or you flee, which means you are like the seed that receives the word for a short period of time, and when the hardship comes or the temptation of the world, you flee. And you do not persevere. When I began this book, I said that this book can be broken up into three parts. And every now and again, I will bring it to your remembrance. So let's see who remembers the three parts. What is the first section that James deals with? We've done this 20 times. 19 times to be accurate. What? what? Faith in trials and temptation. Thank you, boy. That's my son. Secondly, James deals with what? Faith demonstrated. Thank you. The last one, James deals with faith illustrated. So faith in trials and temptation, chapter 1 through to verse 18. And then faith demonstrated, verse 19, right through chapter 5. And then faith, faith illustrated, the last part, or the most of chapter 5 is what we'll look at at a later stage. We are in or entering the stage which is the demonstration of the works of righteousness, or I should say wise works of righteousness, because that's his point. But it's still connected very much to the previous verse. Often there's a confusion as to why there's such an abrupt uh, shift in James's argument. Because many think that when you get to the book of James, you get to a book on trials. That's but a small portion of what this book is about. The book demonstrates how wisdom connects to faith and how faith demonstrates itself in wise acts of righteousness. That is what this book is about. James goes from salvation through the word uh, the word of truth, as he mentioned in verse 18, to the impact of this word on the believer's life. This is similar to what Paul does in his epistles, where you get the indicative-imperative relationship. The indicative is what he tells about the reality of God's work, and the imperative is the command that comes as a result of that. So James does the same thing. He gave us the indicatives. The truth that God puts us in trials and that God alone saves and now he's giving us the imperatives, the commands that flow from that reality. Now, that is the big picture or the meta-narrative of the book. Everything flows from the reality that God not only gives life, but God proves that the life that he gives is genuine by putting that life, that believer, in the midst of trials. 
So James has just laid down the foundation uh, of the understanding of what the New Testament believers should look like in the New Covenant. And I hope you will see this as we move on. There's a threefold outline to the section that we are in. And you will notice I always do threefold outlines. I love three uh, for some unknown reason. Um, verse 19 to 21 deals with the result of salvation. Just a correction in your bulletin. I put the point that I'm going to preach in your bulletin and not the point of the section. The point of the section is the result of salvation. The point that I'm going to preach on is the effect of salvation. So um, just a correction there. Number two is the expectation of salvation. That's verse 22 to 25. And then the application of salvation, verse 26 to 27. That is the three sections that I'm going to preach over the next um, couple of weeks. By the way, we have a Christmas service. I don't think it was announced. On the 25th Christmas service, early in the morning, what, 9 a.m.? 9 a.m. So you'll still get back for lunch. Um, You can cook the night before and just heat it up. It's all right. Your husband can deal with it. But try to be here. Our focus is verse 19 through to 21. And I'm only going to take time uh, this morning to speak about verse 19. There is an immediate effect of the new covenant upon the life of the believer. So I've outlined this morning sermon in the following way. Number one, the immediate effect of the new covenant and then next week, the new change in the new covenant. What is the immediate effect? Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, just till there. Interesting choice of words. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard practical sermons on this. Quick to speak, uh, what's it, slow to hear, quick to speak, slow to anger. How we must be, how the husband ought to be with his wife. And maybe there's a place for that. Um, I think it's a little bit more than that. That's not what James is talking about. It's it's often used in counseling sessions, um, and that is okay. But I want to point out that there's a tremendous amount of nuance that we may not be familiar with, because we are not in the context in which it is received. Now, I'm going to deal with a little bit of a technical issue because I think it's significant. So bear with me for the first five to ten minutes on this issue, and then we'll move on. Know this. Verse 19 begins with a little bit of a problem. For those of you who have the King James or the New King James, what do you have? Wherefore, right? Or therefore. I think it's wherefore. Those of you who have later translations would have know, know this, or understand this, my beloved brothers. The NIV has uh, note this, or take note of this, which is okay. But why the difference? It's important for us to know that there's a reason why the authors or translators choose what they choose. Well, simply put, there are two different words that is in different manuscripts. Some manuscripts have the word um, wherefore, and other manuscripts have the word no. So how do we make a choice? The ESV and uh, NSB is in that range, um, have no, but then you have the King James and the New King James, which is the inspired translation, um, has wherefore. So what do we choose? That was a joke. 
Well, no is actually found in the earliest manuscripts. And wherefore are found in later manuscripts. That should hint to you that the later manuscripts implies that it's an addition or a change. Now, there's a reason why the scribes decided to change it. Because they understood that there was a connection between verse 18 and verse 19. There is a connection, and they see that. But to say, histe is not exactly capturing that change. It's not exactly capturing the idea. So they change it to hoste. Sounds almost the same. Histe and hoste. And so when we read it in the New Testament, in the translations, you pick the Bible up and you think it always meant wherefore. Well, not exactly so. It actually means no. And you can see the difficulty. If it's connected, how does no connect to verse 18? Well, he says uh, at the end of verse 18, so that we may be the first kind of fru- uh, first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved. Know what? There is a complication there because it's not fully explained. But if you say, wherefore, that's a clear, direct connection. So even though the, the translators have chosen an incorrect word, the implication is true. There is a connection. It's just that we, don't, we can't adequate, adequately uh, demonstrate it in our uh, translations. Thirdly, um, or secondly, I should say, the word wherefore is never used. Hosta is never used in James. But he always uses an imperative followed by my brothers or brothers or beloved brothers, which means there is a sequence that he follows. This fits the sequence if it is no, because quickly following or or soon following the command no is my beloved brothers. And you see this um, elsewhere in chapter 2 verse 1. My beloved brothers show no partiality. Again, you have a, a section change there. So James clearly meant it to be no. So that's a little bit of the technical aspect. Why is it significant? Because there is a connection. And James wants them to see the connection. And so understand why the King James and the New King James hold to wherefore, even though it's wrong. I understand why. Because they understood something which is not clear in other translations. They understood that there was a relationship between these words. What is this relationship between these, these verses? Look at verse 18. Right in the middle of verse 18, he says, He brought us forth by the word of truth. Know this. Know what? Skip down to verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the what? implanted word. Jump down to verse 25. But the one who looks into the what? Perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer act, uh, who acts, he will be blessed in all he's doing. Did you notice the repetition there? What is repeated? The word. The word of truth. The implanted word and in a synonym, the perfect law. There is a connection to verse 18. And so James does not repeat the same word like I would do. 
He uses synonyms. He uses a, 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 a morphed uh, um, term to explain this is what I'm talking about. When I speak about the word of truth, I'm speaking about the implanted word and the perfect law. So yes, there's a connection to verse 18. James is showing the impact of the word of truth in the, in the life of the believer since or because of what it is. So that is the connection. They all refer back to verse 18. What we have in verse 19 is the immediate effect of the word of truth in the life of the believer. So, let's begin. Know this. Literally, know now or you must know. This um, uh, command is... It's similar to our word remember. If, if you've ever used the word remember, parents like to use it a lot. Remember when? It's both a command and a request to recall, right? We use it often. This is similar. No is both a command and a request uh, to recall. But take notice. I'm going to read this in the original. Um, I'm going to use the translation and add in something that has been dropped. Know this, my beloved brothers, but let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. What did I add? But. It's actually important. The reason they drop it is because it's such an awkward translation with it in it. And so translators choose to just ignore it. It can mean now, and I actually do prefer the word now than but. James is saying that the word of truth is the means through which God brings life. Now know this. There is something that must change. Now let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Is it starting to make a little bit more sense now? There is a definite connection. The word of truth has an impact upon the life of of the child of God. Specifically here, James is speaking about the new covenant life. How do I know that? Because of verse 18. The language James uses here is the first New Testament expression of the implication of the new covenant in the new covenant period. In reality, James is reaching back saying, God has promised that he will bring life by means of his word. This is that. So as a result of that, you can expect God to desire or demand certain things of you. And this is what he desires. You must know this or know. Put away your anger. Be quick to hear. And slow to speak. James is expressing that these new believers, to these new believers, what it means to live in the new covenant. Sometimes when I read on, on the book of James, especially in the modern uh, commentaries, what is often lost is the connection that James is the earliest book in the New Testament. He is setting the trend. He is laying down the foundation of how the New Testament church ought to understand the Old Testament and the prophecies regarding the New Covenant. So this is what he's dealing with here. 
So it's a unique situation. Sometimes we think that James is writing to a mature church or even a church that is 10 years old. No, these people just transferred or, or, or moved away from Judaism into Christianity. There is still a hangover of that understanding of works-based salvation. So James is laying down the foundation for how to understand God's work in the new covenant and your responsibility in response to God's work in the new covenant. So he's writing to a group of Jews who recently became quote-unquote Christians, who recently became new covenant believers is what I prefer. No New Testament writing exists at this time. No other instruction other than the verbal instructions of Jesus. That wasn't write, written down until later. So James is setting the plumb line. He's laying down the foundation of how the new covenant believer ought to live. So he says, since God gave you life, know this, that every one of you must have visible signs of this life. There must be fruit in a heart that has been changed by God. This is what the section and the remainder of this book deals with. Faith is demonstrated. Faith is never idle. Faith is never dead. Faith is never inactive. Faith always demonstrates itself, whether it's in trials or whether there is a quietness in trials. Faith always demonstrates itself. The very first thing that James says is this. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Pause here. Very interesting choice of words. It's strange, actually. Why these three? You would expect something like Paul would say. Walk in truth, or walk in holiness, or walk in the newness of life. But James chooses two activities and one emotion. Hear, speak, and anger. Why? Remember what I said, that this entire section falls under the canopy of application. The application of verse 18. If God brings life, then this is what you ought to expect. This is the immediate effect of being born of God through the word of truth. And it is seen in these three things. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. What you also note is that James does not explain this. Interesting, right? Why would he not take the time to explain it? Because he presumes that they, what? Know what these mean. And do they? Yes, they do. Why? Because they are Jews. It's a Jew writing to Jews. And we've spoken about this quite a few times. So you know this. This is a cultural script. He doesn't need to explain it. It's like um, South Africans using the word biltong, right? We uniquely know what that word means. Uh, the Americans have what? Um, jerky? Beef jerky, which is yak. Sorry, Americans, if you're listening. No, it's not biltong. That's how they say it. That we have a, a complete understanding of that word because... It is a cultural nuance. That is what's happening here. He doesn't take the time to explain it. He gives the negative aspect of it, and I'll show you that. But he doesn't take time to explain the fullness of it. And so we, unfortunately, and this, I'm out of my level of expertise, if I have any. Um, comfortableness is the better word. Um, when I head into sections where the author doesn't explain things. 
Because now I have to go outside the passage. And I'm not comfortable doing that. I like, I like small things and, and, and very concise things. But James doesn't help with that because he doesn't explain certain things. James gives a tripartite expectation in a very proverbial way. Doesn't this sound something that you would find in Proverbs? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Yes, sure. You could see that fitting into the book of Proverbs. Or maybe in the Psalms. And it is proverbial in nature. It can be summarized as such. Control your tongue. Hear and act. Sanctify God through your living. Or, sorry, sanctified living uh, for God. Now you may say, how on earth did you get to that? Well, I'm going to explain that in a moment's time. There is a sentiment, however, that the quick to hear and the slow to speak together relates to the word of God. And some of your commentaries or your marginal notes or footnotes in your Bibles may say that. Now, I'm going to challenge that. I agree with quick to hear. It relates to the word of God because James takes the time to express the negative aspect of quick to hear in verse 22 through to 25. But be doers of the word, not hearers only. That's the negative. If you are only a hearer and not a doer, you are in the wrong side of town. So he explains the negative aspect of what hearing is or what hearing means. So hearing here does relate to the word of God, but speaking does not relate to the word of God. Why? Because James takes the time to explain the negative aspect of speaking. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not what? Bridle his tongue. What do you do with your tongue? You speak. The negative aspect of speaking here is an uncontrolled tongue. If anybody has no control of his tongue, that person's religion is not genuine before God. So those two things, I agree with some of the um, commentary notes that uh, um, quick to hear relates to the word of God. But you cannot take quick to speak as relating to the word of God. Quick to speak relates to the general aspect of people not being able to have control over his tongue. And I will prove to you why I say that. So some who say that it is related to uh, speaking the word of God jump to chapter 3. Well, James takes the time to show the immediate effect in this section without going outside of it. How do I know that? Look at the very next line in verse um, verse 20. There are three things that he mentions. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then he starts with anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You see what he did there? So I've just mentioned anger. Now let me deal with anger. And so he deals with anger in the negative sense. Anger does not produce God's righteousness. And then in verse 22, he deals with what? Hearing. And then in 26, he deals with what? Speaking. So James, in all, in totality, deals with the three things that he mentions in synopsis form by explaining them in the negative in the rest of the portion of passage. Does that make sense? No. Does it make sense? No. Well, then I failed. (laughs) These three must be taken together. And I know that there are reluctance to see it that way because your footnote says, 
that it relates to the Word of God. Speaking and hearing must relate to the Word of God. So your footnotes must be right, right? I mean, it's, it's a great authority that says that. Let me show to you, and I will prove to you, that these three things relate to one aspect. James, first of all, deals with them in negativity, which is what I uh, mentioned now. So he does take the time to explain it, but not in the positive. He doesn't give the meaning of hearing. He doesn't give the meaning of anger. He doesn't give the meaning of, of speaking. He tells you what it does not look like. But why does James begin here? Why not just skip to 21? Because 21 would make a lot of sense. Know this, my, uh, sorry, at the end of uh, 18, um, that we should be the first fruits of, kind of first fruits of his creatures, therefore put away all filthiness. That makes absolute sense. You can see a connection there, but he doesn't do that. He inserts these three for a very specific reason. Now, that was the introduction to my sermon. Let me actually begin with dealing with the content of the sermon. Notice that he says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That words, let every person, is literally these. Every person must be. The translation, let every person, sounds like there's permission granted. No, it's a strong command. Every person must be. So, husband, there is no hitting your wife at this stage. Wife, there is no nudging and uh, hinting at this stage. Son, there is no thinking, oh, my sister needs to hear this. Also, I should say, brother, there is no thinking that my sister should hear this. Family member, there is no thinking, oh, they should really hear this. Every person must be. Every person must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So would you say this is serious? I think so. If every person is responsible, then he wants everyone who hears these words to perk up the ear and say, okay, I need to do what he is saying. And so he gives these three quick synopsis commands. B. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. What does it mean? I'm going to deal with the two first and then wrap up with the last. Quick to hear and slow to speak. They are joined together. They are connected. Not in the same way as your notes would say that they are both relate to speaking or hearing the word of God. This is not merely a call to hear with the ears. See that little word hear has, it can be used to hear audible noises, but the means here is The meaning here is hearing or giving heed to the truth with the aim to do it. So implied in hearing is not just hearing noises or sounds. Implied in hearing is taking reception of the word with the intention of doing what the word requires. There is a proverbial nature to it and There's a reason why it is so proverbial, because James is often called the um, New Testament wisdom literature. And it is, because he writes so much like Solomon, or David for that matter. The adverbs here, quick and slow, 
are both in the same construction, which means James is saying that you need to be quick with respect to getting slow with respect to speaking. That is how the verbal sense of these words are indicated. Quick to hear or quick with regards or with respect to hearing. What are we to hear? Well, like I mentioned, 22 to 25 clearly indicates that we are to hear the word of God, but with the intention of doing the word of God. In his, this is James's estimation, hearing means receiving the word and saying, I will do what the word requires of me to do. This is not a Sunday special person who merely sits there and says, yes, I hear you, amen, brother, and then forgets what he has heard and does not apply to his life. That is not the person that James has in mind here. Included in this word hear is the eagerness to hear, eagerness. A willingness to hear the word of God. Consider that. It is not waiting for an opportunity to hear the word of God. It is setting up and being willing to set yourself in a position to hear the word of God. There is quickness to go to hear the word of God. There is a willingness to receive the word of God. And there is anxiousness or um, a want to fulfill and perform the word of God. In the Old Testament, the elders of the nation had to speak the word to God's people. And often, God would say that they need to hear and do. Read Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema. It's not just hearing. Hear and perform. Hear and do. That is what is implied over here. The adverbs quick and slow are opposites because James are connecting them together. He says, let every person be quick in regard or with regard to hearing. And let every person be slow with regard to speaking. They complement each other because hearing and speaking goes together. How? They express an eagerness and a willingness to obey the word of God and self-restraint in speaking. You cannot speak and listen at the same time. Ever try to do that? It normally ends up in a, an argument, right? When your husband is talking and there is chirping in, you're not listening. When the wife is talking and there is chirping in, you're not listening. Maybe, I think I had an illustration. I took it out. When your wife says, you are not listening to me, and, and most husbands will know exactly, it's not just that the words are not going into the ear, is that it's not residing in the heart and you are doing absolutely nothing about it. It's like speaking into a vacuum. That is, that's how it is speaking to you. That's all that is meant in you are not listening. That is behind the intention here, that it's... It's when you are only hearing without doing, it's like being a person who just has an echo chamber in his head. Ouch. Willingness and eagerness to hear the word of God and self-restraint over the tongue goes together. James has gone from theology to what I call heartology. Heartology? Heartology. Ah, yeah. 
It's a, it's a Canadian joke. <laughs> He's meddling with hearts. He says, I, I've just explained to you the theology of God's work in salvation through the word of truth or by means of the word of truth now. Let's see how it affects you. Let's see what it does in your life. Since he goes on to explain this later, I will get to verse 22 through to 25 in a later sermon. But for now, James is saying, if you are saved, then you must be a person who is hasty to hear the word of truth. Not for the sake of just hearing, but hasty to get to apply what God requires of you. When James says slow, he's not talking about a person who is slow in speech. There are people who talk pretty fast, like Peter. I don't know if you've noticed that. Sometimes he's at the end of his sentence, and um, I'm still catching up with the first two words. You know, he he just speaks really fast. (laughs) Yeah, I'm slow to hear. But... um, (laughs) There may be those who speak slow, like my, one of my sons. I won't mention his name. He takes forever to explain something. Before you know it, the day is over. And, and he's still talking about the same thing. So he's not talking about slowness. He's actually talking about restraint. In keeping yourself from talking. Keeping yourself from just bursting out with Words. How do I know this? Verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, has no control over his tongue, does not restrain his tongue, or a synonym for is not slow to speak, that person deceives his heart. And that person's religion is not true. Now we're talking. Hmm. Ever been on social media? The mantra on social media is quick to respond. Get angry now and deal with it later. You, you can't, I hate double negatives. You can't not respond, right? If somebody says something on your post, oh, I've got I to tell him. I've got to show her. You know, that's a numbskull. I'm, I'm just going to say it. And so we are not slow to respond. We are quick on our response. But that is the age that we are living in. It, is, it has been, um, we have been conditioned to be like that, to just speak without thinking. Now, why these two? I have five minutes left. Why these two? Okay, first of all, there's two reasons. The Old Testament understanding of speech, hearing, and then I'll deal with anger. Solomon would have, wholeheartedly agreed with James in his very proverbial way of saying this. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Pause over there. What does it mean? Proverbs 13, 3. You don't have to turn to it, but listen to this. He who guards his mouth, literally watches or keeps his mouth, as in keeps it because he's got control of it, preserves his life. But he opens it wide, that is quick to speak, Opens wide, his lips shall have destruction. Now, I do want you to go to Proverbs. Because I'm going to prove from Proverbs that James is echoing proverbial wisdom 
literature. Chapter 10 of Proverbs, listen to verse 19. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. In wisdom literature, while it may be wise to keep your mouth, not be quick to speak, that is wise for everyone, it actually indicates a little bit more than just the control of the mouth. It speaks about the person. And what Proverbs and wisdom literature does is when it speaks about the mouth or the lips of a person, it's identifying the heart of the person. So when Solomon says that a person who speaks or, or conceals hatred is actually a liar. A person who slanders is a fool. Go over to chapter 6, verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes around with crooked what? Speech. Look down at verse 14. With perverted heart, he devises evil. Look at the result. Continually sowing what? Discord. How do you sow discord? With your mouth. What is the connection here? The heart. The heart is revealed in and on the lips. Does that sound familiar? Did Jesus not say something like that? It's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, but what comes out of the heart of man. The heart is exposed through the tongue. Same chapter, look at verse 16 through to 19. There are six things that Yahweh hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness, two things relates to the tongue, who breathes out lies, and the one who sows discord among his brothers. Two verses out of the six things that God hates relates to the tongue. Four in total. That means God hates the effect of the heart because the heart is revealed in the tongue. People who have an uncontrolled tongue are those who are quick to speak, are those who also sow discord, and are also those who have a perverted heart. That's what Proverbs says. This is not a believer. They do not have the fear of God. Uncontrolled tongue is normative, that is normal life, for lack of a better word, normative for an unbeliever. It is not normative for a believer. Likewise, there is so much depth in just this word here. You can go to chapter 3 in, in Proverbs where Solomon speaks to his son and he says, Yeah, my son, pay attention to my words. And then he says, don't and do. Don't do this, but do this. Why connect the two? Because hearing implies doing. Jesus used it in the same way. 
Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. Take note of that. They have not been given the ability to hear the word and therefore spiritually understand the truth. And therefore they cannot do what Jesus requires. Matthew 7, 24 says this. He who hears and does these words of mine is like a man who has built his house upon a rock. We know that. But take notice those two words. He who hears and does. Why? Because hearing in wisdom literature and in the mind of Jesus always implies doing. We need to move beyond this idea that we can just go to the text, read it, and then apply it. There must be understanding. And this is what James is presuming that they have when he says these two things in quick succession, be quick to hear, slow to speak. He wraps up the entirety, the, the entire theology of proverbial use of those two words. Hear means be ready to do. Slow to speak means that you've control over your So he's saying, by these two things, you are not an unbeliever anymore. You don't live like them anymore. You don't do the things that they do anymore. You have a new life, a new walk, and a new response. This is normative for the believer. We must, and I hope you're starting to see this, through the um, see the book of James through the eyes of Old Testament wisdom literature. As a whole, these three, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, is saying that there's a new person that God has created. You are no longer that individual. Furthermore, we need to realize that James connects wisdom to knowing God. And I've made this point already. Wise living is equal to being born of God. You can look at chapter 3 when you get home. These proverbial truths in the beginning of the section is given to showcase the importance of the changed life that God brings about by means of the word of truth. The thematic peak in the entire book, what everything points to is chapter 3 verse 13. But I'm going to read the last part of it. But wisdom from Above, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wisdom from above comes from God which means that only those who have received life from above, in verse 18, can receive wisdom from above. Wisdom is not for everyone. The way to live in God's kingdom, the way to live in God's uh, uh, will and word is by means of wisdom. So James, yes, is um, is the wisdom literature of the New Testament, but he shows what it means to be a wise individual. It means to live in accordance with the word of God. Why is this important? Look at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 35. 
He who finds me, who's me? We would say God, right? It's not. Look at verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise a voice? What's he talking about? Wisdom. He who finds me, that is wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from Yahweh. You know what that word favor is? Grace. There's a connection that James sees, which we need to see as well. Wisdom and grace are connected. You cannot live wise works of righteousness without God's grace. Make sense? You cannot please God, that is wisdom, without God's grace. If you find wisdom, you have found what? Favor. If you have favor, you can receive what? Wisdom. Chapter 1, verse 5. He who lacks wisdom, let him what? Ask of God. Who is that directed to? Believers. Why? Because believers are the only ones that can receive the wisdom to live the way that God desires them to live. We think of wisdom in terms of how the world defines wisdom, just to have practical knowledge. It is more than that. It is having understanding and knowledge of God, God's will, God's way, and God's person. Wisdom takes all of who he is and applies it to how God wants us to live. Turn to chapter 3 of Proverbs, verse 18. I have three minutes left. According to my second clock. Verse 18. She, this is wisdom, is a tree of life. Wow. Consider that for a moment, scholars. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The blessed here is a state in which they are put. Now go over to James chapter 1. Look at verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Hmm. That's a promise. Look at verse 12. Chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. In all of this, I've pointed out that James shows us how to live, how to demonstrate wise works of righteousness. Why? Because if you do that, you are blessed. You are already put in a state of blessedness, which means that verse 18 is a reality for you that you have been brought forth by God. James connects wisdom, Old Testament wisdom, to how God provides grace in the New Testament covenant. Only a believer has an audience with God, and so only a believer can ask God to live in wisdom. So the word of truth brings forth life. It stands to reason, therefore, that the word of truth produces a 
different kind of life that we experience. So these two, speaking and hearing, function together to show that those who know God are quick to hear his word, obey his word, and are able to bridle, that is, control their tongues. Why the third one? Why anger? Well, you're going to have to come back next week as we deal with the rest of verse 19 and verse 20. What is James's point? It is simply this, that the word of truth produces a changed life. The word of truth is the only thing that changes your life. And if you are changed, there's the immediate effect is seen in how you desire to hear the word and obey the word and how you are able to control your tongue. That's the immediate effect of being born from above. If you are changed by God, it will show. If you have not been changed of God, then these things that James is taking for granted should worry you. If you are not desirous to hear and obey the word of God, be concerned. If you are not making every attempt to be under God's word, if you are not breaking yourself by waking up early enough to spend time in the word of God, be concerned. If you don't have a Bible reading desiring to know more about God and do what God says, be concerned. If you have no control over your tongue, I'm not talking about episodes where we all struggle with these convenient sins. What, what was the book? Respectable sins. We all struggle with that. But if this is who you are on a regular basis where there's no bridling of the tongue, be concerned. James says that the immediate effect of having the word of truth change your life is that you desire the word and are able to control your tongue. If you don't see it, Call out to Jesus Christ for salvation. If you don't see it, ask God to change your life. Father, we thank you for such grace. These are hard words to hear because so many times we fail in various of these areas. And we pray, Lord, that as James demonstrated, there is an effect of your word and the truth of your word upon our life. I pray that we would see it in our life. We would see it in our walk. We would see it in our obedience and our desire for your word. Pray now that these words, this truth, would change your, the heart of your people. If there's anybody that has not come by means of Jesus Christ, that have not believed in him as Savior, that still desires to live a life that is contrary to wisdom, then we pray that you would change their life change their hearts, cause them to be born again by your word. For your saints, we pray that you would sanctify us, help us to obey your word, to be eager to hear your word, and to walk in obedience to your word. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.